Welcome to the Abodo Presents podcast. My name is Daniel Gadsall. For this podcast, we talk to David Trubridge about biophilic design in the built environment. David Trubridge is one of New Zealand's most celebrated designers and craftsmen. David holds a New Zealand Order of Merit for his services to design. David, it's great to have you here. Hi, Daniel. Thank you for inviting me. David, you have quite a unique life journey um, that you believe shapes you and your work. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this? Oh, gosh, yeah, that's a long story if you want the whole part. But I, I was born and brought up in Britain, in England, and I studied naval architecture at university because I love boats. But the degree was an engineering one and took me off in the wrong direction. So when I finished, I took a lifestyle choice to create a, a living environment that I was happy with out in the country, renovated an old stone building, and in the process learned how to make doors and windows and extended that into making furniture. Gradually, as I made more and more furniture, I taught myself how to design as well and started designing my own work. And so that was the sort of start of my career. Then as a family, we decided we wanted to, I now had a wife and two children. We decided we wanted to see the world. So we sold everything we had, bought a yacht and set out on an open-ended adventure, which ended up five years later in New Zealand. And although we kept the boat for another five years, that this became our home. And I carried on working from there as I'd left off in England designing and making furniture. Then sort of around about 2000, I started trying to find a bigger market in Europe for the furniture and got picked up by some of the Italian design houses and sort of shifted from being a designer maker to being a designer on, on his own. And not long after that, the lights came along, which really sort of what I built my business around, the kit set decorative light shades that we make now almost entirely. That's, that's our current business model. So for you, I've noticed throughout your brand and the way that you operate, that sustainability is very important. And I heard you mention in one of your previous podcasts that this really came to roost when you were visiting Antarctica. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, I, I was really lucky to be taken to Antarctica by the New Zealand program where they take a couple of artists every year uh, in 2004. I've always been very outdoor um, minded. I always loved, I was brought up in the Highlands of Scotland. I love to walk in the mountains. And, and so the environment has always been really important to me. And Antarctica is like the extreme environment and the sort of the furthest you can go in that respect. And down there, I was met scientists who were working on a number of projects about climate change. And, and they sort of said, well, it's kind of interesting and in what's going on, but it's sort of unprecedented. And that sort of really opened my eyes to, to the, the, the crisis as it is now. And also the fact that although these scientists knew a lot, the information wasn't getting out there. That's not their job to be emotional and to jump up and down. It's their job to be dispassionate. And so I sort of realized that we need to start talking about this. Um, that was the beginning of, of my more public kind of stance against um, the desecration of the environment as we see it. It's sort of an interesting thought. I mean, how has that influenced what you do as a business? In, in every single way. I mean... I guess sort of going back to to the early part of my career, I was initially a craftsperson, and, and the essence of craft is care. You make things well because you care about them. You care about the materials you use. You don't like to waste. You don't like your things that you made to get thrown away too soon, so you make them to last. And that's kind of imbued all my work ever since, even though I'm not actually doing the crafting myself. That kind of essence is still there. And so in every aspect of the business, we, we try to reduce our impact on the environment in every way that we can, both in the materials that we use, the processes we use, the way we ship the, the goods, how people use them once they've got them. Every single aspect of the business is, is imbued with this attitude towards the environment that we need to protect the environment around us. 
it's what gives us life. And I guess that's transparency is also something that's very important around that. And I see that you do offer environmental product declarations to sort of make that impact transparent to, to people that are interested. Yeah, I think that's, and we've looked at a number of different products to kind of certify what we do. And, and that third party certification is really important. Otherwise, you just get bogged down in your own claims. And I like the environmental product declaration most because it doesn't make any claims. It's just a pure statement of everything that you know about your product and your company and your process. And it leaves the purchaser, it's up to them to decide what they like about it or not. They're not kind of being given claims about we produce less carbon from this than 50% less carbon or you know, those sort of greenwashing claims. But I also think that it's important to be honest. I think this is the key to it is honesty. And in fact, it's better to be honest and tell the public about some of the bad things you do because we all do bad things and, and there's no shame in that. We're just trying to acknowledge them and at the same time reduce the effect of those bad things, but we're not hiding them. So we, we tell the whole story as much as we can about everything that we do. Absolutely. One of your phrases is, is beauty matters. Can you tell us how this sort of affects design in the built environment? I sort of preface that, that sort of issue with the Maori word for beauty, atahua which is not quite the same as we see it. So the Western of beauty is an, is an intrinsic quality within an object or a person, whereas to, to the Maori, to the Polynesians, it's a relationship. It, it's a two-way process. It, it's what happens between. So when you create an object with care and love, you imbue it with beauty, but that then transfers to the people who live with it, associate with it, and it makes them more beautiful. So if you create a, a beautiful building by this kind of, approach you're actually making people who live within it more beautiful as well and i kind of like that two-way sort of process so basing beauty matters on that it's kind of saying that beauty is not just a sort of a luxury an extra thing you add on it has an effect on us it matters that you sure we need to build eco buildings that are as efficient as we possibly can but the, the psychology of the space which you create is equally important and how it affects us and how we live within it, how it nurtures us, enriches us, makes us better people. So that's why I, I say beauty matters. Absolutely. And there's a certain amount of research out there that indicates that a connection with natural materials does improve people's well-being and, it, and perhaps it does actually make them more beautiful, as you, as you point out. Do you think a connection to nature is important? I actually think it's vital. And I think that one of the problems of our kind of Western civilization and its destruction of the environment is because we don't respect nature enough. We become disconnected to it. And I think the fundamental sort of cause of this is, to be honest, is Christianity and its kind of initial gift that God gave to man, as they say in the Bible. God gave man this beautiful environment to live in and for him to have dominion over it and all the creatures thereon and all the rocks and fishes and so on. And, and that's the sort of myth of the Western cultures that we are special we are different and we we were given this environment for our ends and if we don't exploit it we're not honoring the gift that god gave us and i think we seriously need to change this paradigm it's caused the destruction of, of so much of the planet now through exploitation and through greed and i think we need to look at indigenous cultures which have a very different relationship with nature a balanced relationship because they understand living in small communities that if you use the environment around you to the point where it can no longer support you, then you die. You can't survive. So they need to preserve their resources for them to, to have an, a future. And we need to have that attitude again ourselves. And we don't, unfortunately, I think. 
And so I think a connection to nature is absolutely vital for us to have a future as, as a species. I think that Aboriginal culture thing is quite an interesting point. I mean, if you look at the Australian Aboriginals, for example, they lived for tens of thousands of years in a fairly harsh environment and they managed to coexist with nature and survive in, in the middle of the desert. Do you think that's something we could learn from? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best example. It's the, it's the longest extant culture, I think, in the world. They're those in the Papua New Guineans and a few tribes in southern Africa. And they have survived in, as you say, one of the harshest environments without hardly affecting it at all. And they've survived because they have that balance with the environment. I think that's expressed in some of the amazing artworks that is coming out of the some of the Aboriginal painters in the central desert in around Alice Springs that sort of t- tell that story of this relationship with the land. And I like their sort of their morals. They, they have this moral code. I mean, all cultures, all societies have moral codes. Our Western one is, the religious one is the Ten Commandments. And it's all thou shalt not. And it's all social about how we interact with each other. There is no reference to the environment in, in the Ten Commandments. Whereas the Aboriginal people and, and the Maori people, the environment is a crucial part of their moral code. You know, the Maori say, I am the land, the land is me. We are the same thing. If one of us gets sick, the other will. And I think the same with the Aborigines, that they have these sort of stories which tell you about how things can go wrong, these sort of fables that explain how things could go wrong and how you can then put them right. It's regaining the balance. And I think that's a much better way to create a moral code than this sort of thou shalt not that we've been given in the Western world. That's sort of an interesting direction. A lot of our audience are architects and designers. How can they take this sort of train of thought into the way that they design and build our own homes and workplaces? I I think this is sort of, again, this comes back to the culture. We're brought up in in the Western culture with these attitudes that I've been sort of talking about. And that effectively sort of drives the way in which we think and the way we operate. And because we have this idea of, of humans being special and sort of above nature, we design like that. So our, our kind of design process is a sort of a form of imposition on the landscape. We kind of almost like the amazing painting by William Blake of God up in the heavens with his dividers sort of planning out the world below him. It's like we're, we're, the, we're now the designer in the heavens with our dividers or our stylus, so looking down on the world below, imposing our ideas onto the landscape. Whereas I think that the kind of design that comes out of indigenous cultures and the kind of design we need to move over to for the future is, is more of a kind of enabling of what's already there, working with what's there, fitting in with what's there, respecting what's there, not dropping from the heavens a sort of cube that's got no relationship to the landscape or its environments and plonking it down on the landscape. This is kind of like colonial thinking. This is the wrong sort of thinking for us to make a new direction for the future. So if you change that mindset, then I think you start to get some more interesting work that comes out of it. So you sort of indicating that designers and architects could actually look at what indigenous cultures have done and see what they can learn or borrow from from those ancient ways and see if they can reinvent it in perhaps a more modern manner. Partly. I mean, I'm not talking about practical things. I mean, yes, of course, there are things we can find, but I'm talking about a mindset that before you even start thinking about what you're building and how you're building and the materials you choose, I'm thinking about your mindset. of Is it a colonial mindset where you're imposing or is it a community enabling where you're gathering things together? I mean, yes, I think there are aspects of 
indigenous building that we need to think a bit more about. We know now that concrete is, as the Guardian said, the most destructive material on earth, concrete and steel. And so now the, the sort of the looking forward to the future, we can't afford to plan long-term buildings that over their life have a, a zero carbon effect if at the beginning they have a lot of carbon emissions in the building. And that's been the process up to now is that we've said that if you build for longevity, that over the lifespan of that building, 50, 100 years, the, all the carbon that you emit in the creating of it is offset because it lasts for a long time. We don't have that luxury of time anymore. What matters now is what we do today and tomorrow and this year and next year. So the, the carbon emissions of a building that's put up are absolutely critical in the process. And so instead of concrete and steel, we need to be thinking more about wood and mud and straw and, and natural materials which, which don't emit carbon in their, in their processing. I think it's a fundamental shift that's being forced on us by um, the urgency of the situation that, that, that we're in today. Absolutely. I think it's fairly clear that biogenic materials are the way of the future and that the embodied energy or embodied carbon and the materials that we choose have the immediate effect on the carbon emissions and the operational carbon, of course, is something that also needs to be considered, but that's over a gradual amount of time. And we're starting to see sort of reinvention of things like straw bale homes and, and rammed earth. I mean, what's your view on, on a straw bale home? What's your thoughts? I've got a friend who's built one. I, I was a bit sceptical of them for a while because, I mean, we live in an earthquake country and, and all that plaster, which you're relying on the, the plastering to keep the moisture out of the straw. And if the plaster cracks, the moisture gets in, then, then you, you've got a problem. And, and I'm not entirely convinced about New Zealand being the best, best place for that sort of building, but... Certainly that my friend's house is beautiful and he's started to convince me that it's better than I'd originally thought in terms of its sort of breathability and thermal mass and so on. I think probably more appropriate for us is timber. I mean, there's so much happening around the world of architecture today of, of even large scale buildings using timber framing. I think we grow heaps of it here and I think that's probably a better option for New Zealand. We can create sort of more flexible earthquake resistant buildings with timber. Yeah, well, you're, you're preaching to the converted here, David. So what, what work are you, I mean, you've got your, your business as usual, which, which is the lighting range. Are there any special projects you're working on at the moment? Yeah, there is. There's a, there are a couple. I have a design studio here, which is kind of part of the company. And so obviously we create our own products, develop our own, our own products in our studio. And it's great having a studio in the same building as, as the factory because we have access to all the CNC technology and we can trial out things and go back and forth between the studio and the workshop. Um, but we also love to take on one-off projects. Probably the most well-known one are the, the night lights, the walk, the tree walk in Rotorua that we did a couple of years ago, three years ago, which has been very popular. We're working on a couple at the moment. One is a performance space for performing artists, for musicians. I can't say too much about it, but, but it's exciting projects, a large canopy. Another one is a series of seats for Tepai, the new Christchurch Convention Centre that's um, largely being built now. It's, I think it'll be finished at the end of the year. We're just working through those. They'll be installed probably by the end of the year, beginning of next year. And that's another one-off project as well. So, yeah, we really enjoy doing those. And that sort of gives, and often those projects kind of, get you started on a new train of thought that can lead into a new area of product that comes back to something for us to make. So it, it, it's a win-win for us. Yeah, I guess you do get the spin-offs where you've come across something when you've designed another 
a special project and you've you, you learn from that and you maybe apply it to your business you, you know your standard product range yeah i mean that that's like i say that's this kind of a bonus and it means that we're doing the sort of the research for another project for which we're getting paid but then that allows us to carry on and develop that into something as a product for us so it's, it's like i say it's a win-win situation David, you've got quite a lot of material out there online, I guess. If you would, if you had people that were interested to learn more about some of your opinions and some of your views on nature and, and products and climate change, where would they find uh, that sort of content? Mostly on our website. If you go to the uh, About tab, I've got a blog there, which I write sort of every so often articles about either about design, about travel, or about environment, about nature. So those are my personal opinions. And we've also got a, a heap of videos. Um, we, we make videos both about me, about my design philosophy and about the products. And they're also available on our website. And then Facebook and Instagram are continually putting up sort of little features and stories there as well. Great. So that, and that the website is davidtrubridge.com? Yes, correct. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time, David. I think you've probably raised a couple of things that I think everyone would like to learn more about and at least challenge their initial thoughts on. So I'd like to thank you very much for taking your time today. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for having me on board. Thanks for listening to this podcast, brought to you as part of the Abodo Presents series. 